Okay, welcome to another edition of the Edlow Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Um, I have a special guest here. I have. How long have we known each other now? It's got to be 25, 30 years. It's got to be at least that long since high school. Yeah. It's a while ago. Yeah, I have. I have Otis Chains Martin, a.k.a. Elliot Prestwich here. Elliot, what's up, man? I... I I'm so glad we did this. I know we we you know we exchanged messages on Facebook, but man, you've been you've been a friend of mine for so long, and it's been so cool to watch, you know, you become the father and just human you are. And um, and it's it's interesting because you like me have a very kind of a a different. You've kind of marched your own path, and it's been relatively successful. And so I want to talk to you about that. Um, so uh, yeah, glad to have you on, man. It's it's been crazy going from from the backyard wrestling to <laughs> to now like professional lives. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's been it's been quite the journey, and you know, I appreciate all the nice things you just said. I I feel the same way about you. It's really fun to watch all the success that you've had and becoming an attorney and raising your kids and boy weekends and girl date nights and it's it's awesome to see uh all of those things come from backyard wrestling and full circle you know and that was what we were just talking offline and i and i said this uh, you know it's it as i said uh, if you took all of the kids in our like time frame and you were to pl- if we asked the leaders of our time to place bets on which one of the kids would still be active and be like good dads and like professionals and things I, you know i know that the bets would not be on josh edlow and elliot prestwich and yet here we are here we are now both professionals dads doing a great doing doing great and kind of forging a different path than the cookie cutter mormon but yet We've kind of, you know, we've we've been able to uh, to stay active. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I wasn't always active. You know, I had a good stretch where, you know, my mid twenties where um, I had a long break from the church. Um, and it's interesting how life prioritizes things, and um, and it wasn't until you know I was married pretty early in my twenties, and that marriage dissolved. And um, I was living on Maui at the time and life kind of prioritized things for me. And, you know, one of my good friends passed away and I, I just wanted more from life. And um, I found that back at church and it was through searching for that, that I found my current wife and eternal partner. And, um, and we built, an awesome life together with four kids or four awesome boys that are doing crazy things and taking me <laughs> for the ride. So it's awesome. How old are your kids now? So my oldest is 10 and then I have a seven year old and a five year old and the youngest will be three in November. Oh yeah. So you're, you're just a few years behind me. Mine's your seven. It's almost 17, almost 15, 12 and 10. And yeah. Uh, I got to tell you, man, it gets better. Like, that's the thing is it, it, it's so fun. I, I would say that I've said this before. This is this time of my life is my favorite because like they're at the age where we were, where we were becoming ourselves and getting into things that we were passionate about. And it's so fun. Like my son, Austin is, you know, he's, he's a, a lead singer in a rock band. He plays the guitar. He's in choir. Like, I mean, you, you would love him because he's just, he's very artistic. Uh, my daughter is into theater. My, you know, my other daughter is really into the arts and reading. And uh, they're just, they're becoming people, like real people, not just your yeah. kids. And it's so fun. And tell me what it's been like for you. I mean, you've had them now for 10 years. What has fatherhood meant to you? So, I mean, for me, it's an amazing journey. And it's an incredible responsibility to uh, get these people ready for life. And, um, you know, when you start having kids, I don't think you realize that that's what it's going to be and how much your world's going to change. And I feel like I blinked in my son's 10. And, yeah. um, you know, 
Today was an awesome day. We had parent teacher conference this morning. So oh, us so, too. <laughs> so we got um, an outside perspective on how your kids are doing. Because even within your own home, um, you know, you have that relationship with them and they act different for you than maybe in the outside world. And it's really cool to see their teacher's perspective of the people they're becoming. And I mean, I mean, my son, my seven-year-old son um, had an amazing moment yesterday in school that I just couldn't be more proud of. Um, mm. They did an activity of would you rather in the classroom. And one side was, would you rather be super smart and not have to try at school? And the other side of the room is, would you rather have all the friends at school? And this one little boy stood up and went to the, I'd rather have all the friends. I don't feel like I have any friends. And without waiting for the kid to finish, my son ran across the room, gave him a big hug and said, I'm your friend. I've been your friend since first grade. And all the other kids ran up and they did a big group hug and the teacher cried and the kids cried. And I cried during parent teacher conference because like you know he got that from somewhere i'd like to think that you know i had a little bit to do with it it was probably a lot of his mom but um, you know um but you have those moments and it's just like that's priceless you can't you can't replace those things yeah yeah and that's we i did too i had i had parent teacher conferences today too and you know, um, it's fun to see, like, for example, my oldest, you know, he uh, he became a freshman during COVID, which I think kind of hampered him a little bit. You know, he, figuring out high school took him a little bit to acclimate, and but he's having his best year yet. And and so we're sitting there and we're like, I'm, I'm talking to these teachers and every teacher is telling me, they're grateful for this kid and they're grateful for, you know, they're grateful for Lexi and Piper's doing this. And they're just so, and I'm like, I'm sorry, you're talking about my kid. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, it's like, I, what are they planning that I'm not aware of? <laughs> you know, like, and, uh, and I just go, well, I, now if I can just figure out how to get that into here with me. And I just, I had someone tell me one time, they said, I don't measure my success with kids based on how they act with me, I, I base it on how they act with other people. And, yeah. and so uh, it's, it's such a, it's such a good time, like you said, to hear your kids are doing well. And even when they're not, you can still see the glimmers of where they're interested. You know, yeah. uh, my daughter pulled, my oldest daughter pulled into one today. and She was just like, you know, the teacher, it was a Latin class and the teacher was like, you know, you just seem like sometimes you're not, you're there, but you're not really there. And then she's like, well, yeah, your first period. And I just got through a seminary and I'm dead tired that I came into your class. So yeah, I'm not really paying attention <laughs> the first half hour. And I'm like, Hey, she's being honest. That on- yeah. That honesty yeah. is refreshing. Yeah. That to an adult with, uh, without being rude. Yeah. And she was, and she was funny because then the teacher was like, well, maybe you can go to bed a little bit earlier. And she goes, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. (laughs) Maybe I could, but probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't help. And uh, and I'm just like, you heard her. She's not going to do it. You know, I don't know. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's fun to, it's fun to, 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 uh, to watch these kids become real people. And, to, you know, I'm so, I don't know if you feel this way, but I have, at um, times am just scared to death that I'm going to screw them up. You know what I mean? Just, um, but yet it's so great to have this community, specifically in the church, that that kind of rallies around them, especially when, you know, if they struggle, you know, and it's really, it's really great. We, we had that, I think, too. You know, we had a really strong, we were lucky to have a strong seminary group, you know, that all kind of hung out together. Um, and so, uh, so tell me now, Elliot, you know, you, where did exit, you grew up in Lincoln area, Loomis area, right? So originally grew up in Antelope, Alberta area. Mm -hmm. Um, but we were just on the boundary of that. So, um, spent my freshman year of high school, like in Wood Creek at Roseville Mm -hmm. and, um, and then did independent studies through most of high school. Um, cause mm. I didn't really like regular school, which is mm. why I got to spend so much time with you guys in Citrus uh-huh. High. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, just because my schedule was open. Yeah. And so, but you know, like you said, the the crew that we had in that part of town, um, it was it was unique, um, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of fun, lots of activities, you know, good people to hang out with. Uh, the TP wars were insane. <laughs> oh man, it was funny. I w- I've told the story about. Were you involved when we when we TP Byron Roop's house like three weeks in a row? Oh, yeah, God, that, was, yeah. that was so funny. That was so great. <laughs> he it was so funny. So. He did not think so. Well, did not think so. <laughs> no, no. Well, the the third time was because I have to tell the story in case any of our friends are listening and or Byron listens to this. So the second time, the first time someone got caught. So we decided to go back the second time and really get him. Right. But then the yep. second time he came up to me and a couple of my friends and said, okay, so like, let's go get, I think it was Mike Dennis's house. He wanted to go get Mike Dennis. And so we were like, oh yeah. Okay. But someone tipped us off that Byron was going to call us and tell us that he couldn't make it and then go to Mike's house and ambush us. So yeah. we were just like, all right. Well, we'll just go do Byron's house again. <laughs> we already bought the stuff. It can't go to waste. <laughs> yeah. And so that was that was when that was when we that was when it was their, their his parents were pretty upset. But that was that was pretty funny. And so now you you have always been one of the more artistic friends I've had. And have you always been like that? What what was it like your first artistic uh, venture that you really felt you got passionate? Um, I don't know. I, my mom was always encouraging when it came to arts and outlets. Um, so I've, I've always drawn um, lots of pictures painted. Um, when I was 12, they got me my first electric guitar. So kind of noodled around with that. Um, but yeah, arts and entertainment have just kind of always been, you know, what I thought I was going to do. Um, where I've ended up is in arts and entertainment, but it's very much the admin side, not the performance side, mm. which I thought would be more of the thing. Um, I still perform. Um, I played guitar a few weeks ago with the Masters of Hawaiian Music um, here in Boise. Um, but yeah, just started at a young age and my mom was was all about it. Just like, you know, mm. you have a feeling Put it down on paper, play it in a song, get it out. Um, you know, don't let that swell up inside of you. So it's always been um, a good coping mechanism for me for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, I think, why it's been present. Um, and it's really come full, full circle in the last uh, probably four weeks. Like I got to play with the Masters of Hawaiian Music. Um, and then... I got called as the um, primary chorister. So I start that gig on <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> nice. Nice. So maybe I can help some kids love music too. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I'll tell you, I did a stint in primary about two years. And uh, the funny thing is, is then when you start going to the church activities, you don't know the parents, you just know their kids. So yeah. I would, I did that one time, I, you know, I moved into a new area and they immediately put me in. And then, you know, because of my size, they put me in with like the rowdiest class, which I was like, I'm like, these are my people. It's fine. I can handle it, you know? And so, um, but I remember going to like an elders corn party and being like, oh, you're so-and-so's dad. You're so and so's dad. Okay, you know what I mean, and that's how you know everybody at that point. Yep. Yep. So, so that's fun. And your your wife is also pretty uh, musical as well, right? Yep. So um, my wife graduated from Sac State with uh, two bachelors and a master's, um, a bachelor in vocal performance and bass clarinet, and then a master's in vocal performance. And mm-hmm. she's an opera singer. She toured all over Italy, sung for Sacramento Opera, um, and she has a company here in Idaho called Gemma Arts, and they do a lot of operatic performances and bring people over from Europe, and um, she just did a stint in New York in April, and so, yeah, pretty musical family at this point. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Now, um, so tell me, do you, do you kind of, I don't know. I asked this question really because 
I've been kind of pushing Austin. He's he's a he's quite a you know, he's quite a musician himself, and he wants to be involved in music. And I recommended, you know, why don't you learn sound engineering? Um, because the money is in the producing, right? That's where you kind of make a lot of the money, and that way, even if you it doesn't work out, you don't become a rock star. You can still work in the industry. Do you yeah. ever feel as though being the admin? Do you kind of begrudge that, or do you really enjoy that? Um, I I think it's um, a little both. Hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I wish I would have pr pursued the music side and released some albums and done more performing. Um, you know, and and I regret not doing that a little harder. Um, but the people I was working with, they needed my talents elsewhere. Um, and so getting into the marketing side and building websites and selling tickets to shows, um, you know, I just kind of fell into this groove. And then, like I said, you blink and it's 10 years later. Um, yes. <laughs> and so, you know, what started as running social media for some bands and selling tickets for their tours and doing some management turned into a partnership with a promotion company and now is a venue management company. And we're promoting shows from Spokane all the way down to San Diego. And we're managing the crest in Sacramento and the Egyptian theater in Boise. And um, I've seen lots and lots of great shows and, you know, it, it, what I'd say to Austin is, you know, learn the production side of it so that you can produce the sound that you want. And if that turns into an awesome music career and you like the touring lifestyle, because it truly is a lifestyle, um, run with it. But if not, you will have tools that you can still take care of yourself and a future family and, and, and you know, those skills will pay the bills. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring up the touring lifestyle because I similarly sometimes, um, not that I regret, I have a great life. Like, you know, obviously the being an attorney, this has been a great run and, and I've really enjoyed it. And, you know, it, it, I'm passionate about it and I do very well. But there's a part of me that always was like, what if I had, you know, pushed a little harder on wrestling? You know, could I have made it, you know? Um, and I then I did when I when I, uh, you know, I did a tour with Impact and uh, and I was there with all my, you know, all the like Jeff Hardy or Rob Van Dam. Yeah. Big, you know, all those guys. Uh, Kurt Angle was there and AJ Styles. All these guys were there. And it was so interesting to watch how your life was literally town to town, arena to arena, no time to like stop and smell the roses. I mean, yeah. you know, and it was a, it, you, like you said, it's a lifestyle. And I was like, I remember thinking to myself, cause my kids were young at that time and it was a 10 day tour. So it wasn't, it wasn't super long, but I remember going like, I would never see my kids. I'd watch them grow up over FaceTime, you yeah. know? And, uh, and it made me kind of grateful. And I actually just did a, a podcast with Tito Santana, you know, the WWE hall of famer. And, I yeah. asked him, you know, he, I asked him, I said, would you do anything differently? And he goes, oh, if I had to do it again, I would have never, I'd have never gotten into wrestling. I'd have done something else because I missed so much with my kids. And, um, and, and, uh, and it's that way for music too, is, um, you know, people go, oh, you're all over the world. You're doing this stuff. And, you know, you're in a town for 16 hours. Like you pull in in the morning, you're tired from the night before you set up your show that night. Um, you know, maybe you see a restaurant that the venue you're playing. Maybe you don't even see that. Um, if it's a big tour, you're just on a tour bus. You're not even getting a hotel. And mm -hmm. um, and you do that for three months, four months in a row. Um, that's it's a lifestyle. Like I said, you know, you yeah. sacrifice things if there's people at home or you never get to create those things because you're not in one place long enough to do it. Man. So the knowing yourself, um, is there a part of you that you think you would have enjoyed that lifestyle? Um, I think at one point, you know, before I met my my current wife and had kids, that it, it was a possibility. Um, you know, at one point after my divorce, I considered just getting a job as a cruise ship musician and seeing the world and doing that kind of thing. 
Um, mm. It's kind of interesting how life changes rapidly. Um, so as I was pursuing that endeavor of trying to build, you know, enough songs to, to do that kind of a gig, um, I started taking voice lessons. And then um, some of my Hawaiian music friends were going to open a gig at Harlow's in Sacramento. And they said, hey, you should come open for us. Um, I invited my voice teacher to come to my show. And we dated for three weeks, got engaged, and were married within six months. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I never got to on that cruise ship. And, and I don't regret that at all. Right. So. Man, that's awesome. That's hilarious. Wow. So now I want to I want to transition that a little bit into uh, well before we go into into that let's let's what what are some of your favorite types of acts to book? Gosh, um, for me, what's been the most fun is um, when I, growing up, my parents didn't let us listen to pop music, our top forty, our hip hop, or any of that stuff. So I pretty much grew up on oldies and weird Al and country western not like country like garth brooks but like home on the range um, yeah like you know. real country yeah yeah so, <laughs> so um you know the riders in the sky was a band that my parents would drive us up to the nugget and see um and then later in their career they got um gigs with disney doing um toy story you know with woody mm. And um, so being able to book some acts like that and bring my parents to the show, um, we've done that with Weird Al. We've got to produce several of his shows. Um, nice. Riders in the Sky is still one of my favorites, and it's the nostalgic um, moments and, you know, bringing those things full circle. Um, and then becoming friends with people in, in those bands, like Jim Kimo West is – Weird Al's guitar player has been from the very beginning uh, through Hawaiian music. I've developed a great friendship with him. Um, mm. And then like I'm hanging out with Weird Al, who was, you know, an idol growing up. Like, that guy right. can sing anything. He can, they can play anything. It's amazing. Um, yeah. And then all the way, I mean, we've done so many awesome shows. Uh, right now I'm enjoying the comedians that we're booking. Uh, we mm. just had Kathleen Madigan come through the Egyptian. She's hilarious. Mm. Uh, David Cross is coming up. Um, mm. Just uh, helped out with the Nate Bargatze show. If you haven't oh. seen his stuff. Oh, he's hilarious. So good. And his he's... new network that they're putting out on YouTube. It's all clean and just so, so funny. He's he's hilarious. He's yeah. so funny. The Weird Al stuff, were you uh, helping him on that tour where he was just doing all the deep cuts? I remember he just did a tour where it was like all deep cuts, all of his original songs. He didn't do any of the parodies. Was that one of the ones you were involved in? Um, so we did present, um, I think, one show on that tour. Um, you know, we got to do his tour before that where they played with symphonies and they had a whole symphony play with Weird Al. That was pretty oh, wild. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy can play anything and comes up with the best parodies. And, you know, it used to be people were like, oh, no. But now in the music industry, if Weird Al's made a parody of you, you've kind of made it. Yeah, that's awesome, <laughs> man. That's awesome. Well, let me let me ask you now, you know, um, being we were talking off air about how, like, we both are active members of the church, but we both have kind of forged a path that is not, you know, it wasn't the cookie cutter Mormon life. Right. Yeah. Um, and yet still active, perhaps you can kind of talk about how the way you kind of handled life, why you think you're still active, if that plays any role. Yeah. Well, I mean, I kind of touched at, on it earlier is, um, you know, I grew up in a really active Mormon house and, um, you know, my parents were very strict, like, you know, this is what we do. We don't do that. Um, so I feel like when I turned 18, 19 and I had some choices, um, I just kind of explored what being inactive was about. And that gave me a lot of different life perspective. Um, you know, got married at a young age, got divorced at a young age, um, 
and there was just a lot of of uh, perspective that comes along with that. Um, and then one of our good friends passed away, um, Seth Fangle. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, he was my roommate and best friend for high school through right before I moved to, to Maui. And um, so he passed away shortly after I got divorced and, um, and I missed him. And, um, and I think he probably played the cruelest joke on me that he possibly could. You know, he was going through some things. I was going through things. And he said, hey, man, I'll go back to church if you go back to church. And, mm-hmm. um, and I said, okay, you got a deal. We'll go back. Mm-hmm. And he was going back in Sacramento. And I was on Maui starting to attend church. And, um, and you know, probably within four or five weeks of making that promise to each other, he passed. And mm-hmm. um, so you know, I have to live up to that because I made that deal. And, you know, at first it's just going through the motions. I went to sacrament Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. because I told him I would, and I didn't want to break that commitment. Um, and then eventually going through the motions turns into habit and, you know, through all the dark parts of my life, there was, um, I couldn't remember a, a place that I was more peaceful than at church. And so as I went more, um, I prayed more. I asked if, you know, did the cookie cutter Mormon things pray, ask if the church is true, do, do all the things. And, you know, I got revelations, personal revelations that prompted me to go to the temple, get my endowments, pursue the priesthood and those types of things. And, um, and then I'm, you know, was like, what do I do next? What's the next step? And, um, you know, I told you about having a voice teacher. Well, I, I didn't know she was, grew up LDS at all. You know, we had a professional, mm-hmm. as a student, she was a teacher. Um, and about that same time, I noticed she started having hymnals on the piano at voice lesson studios. And, um, and so I was like, okay, well, this is kind of interesting. And I don't know, things just clicked. And yeah. so, um, it was those peaceful moments that I had as a youth. Um, a lot of it was the music. I mean, I can remember sitting at on the couch being miserable in, in Maui and picking up the guitar and plucking out church hymns and, yeah. you know, the peace that that would bring me. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just about trying to find some peace in the chaos that was going on. And that slowly built into this life and family and, you know, the life that I have right now, which, you know, if the career went away and all the other things went away, it would be fine because I have this family unit. Yeah. It's so interesting how sometimes I remember telling, I remember reading, um, I can't remember which president of the church it was, but somebody saying, uh, you can either be humble or God will compel you to be humble. And sometimes, you know, um, it it takes those dark times to kind of really center you. I, I, it's, it's funny because I've, I, I'm a little different in that, like, even though I did a lot of crazy different stuff that people didn't really like, I can't think of, you know, since my mission, I cannot think of three weeks in a row that I didn't go to church, right? But at the same time, you know, my testimony waxes and wanes just like everybody else's. Some day, some weeks I'm doing great, some weeks I'm struggling a little bit, you know, just like everybody. Um, but it's so interesting how I've noticed that in times of trial, in times of difficulties, when you are grounded in the gospel, when you have that it kind of it kind of brings you into a center with god and uh for for whatever reason prayers become more sincere uh scripture study becomes more important and it really does center you on what is most important i know like for me the most the most the difficult times this the one the biggest benefit of some of the things i've gone through in the last four or five years has been the relationship i have i have uh developed with um with some of the leaders of my church 
but especially the relationships that I have developed with my kids, you know, Mm -hmm. because they needed it so bad. And it was like, and I needed it so bad. And it's really developed into something amazing. And it's funny how the gospel kind of turns you to that. What's what matters most, you know? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it just keeps going from, from there. Um, You know, the more that you lend yourself to service um, to those around you and in the church, um, I mean, I feel like the more opportunities have opened up to me in all aspects of my life. Um, Mm. And so, but, you know, like I said, there's no greater privilege than getting to know these kids and being responsible for them. Yeah, man. So I wanted to talk to you about another thing, and that was that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we, you know, you moved up to Boise, I think, at this point, and we were still kind of keeping connected on Facebook and Instagram and everything. And then the next thing I know, I see Elliot Prestwich is climbing into a cage. <laughs> yeah. It was like, we all do midlife crisis is a little different. What did, <laughs> what did you get a nice sports car? yeah yeah that's about right yeah no you know it's funny it's funny you bring that up because like i recently started training again and i actually got back into the ring and i'm wrestling a little bit now and uh but you i mean this is what five ten years ago that you started training for mma um i mean it was more recent than that so end of end of 2019 um you know i We'd done wrestling, big wrestling yeah. fan, big MMA fan. I follow UFC, do all the things, you know, go to SmackDown, all the stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think just like you, you always wonder what if, what if yeah. I had done a little bit more with that? Um, in 2019, I was in pretty bad shape, you know, as the heaviest mm-hmm. I'd ever been. Um, I've got four small kids, well, three and a half small kids. <laughs> and, um, and I was just like, man, if I don't do something to get back in shape, I'm going to, I'm going to miss, you know, I'll be in such bad health. I can't do anything with them. Uh, I've never really been a sports fan. You know, you love basketball, but I never mm-hmm. played it much, never watched mm-hmm. it, never did football or, or soccer or baseball, but I, I like fighting. Fighting's interesting to me. Right. Um, and so the local gym had this thing called wimp to warrior and the whole thing was they took people that were out of shape never trained and they train you for six to eight months and at the end of it you cage fight and they put you up against somebody else that went through the training um so i signed up for that because there's nothing that motivates you more than know that you're going to fight somebody on this date at this time and um and it was cool like you got to know these guys who train at a gym called SBG Idaho um, Sports Combat Fitness, um, and they're a global organization. Um, Conor McGregor is an SBG member in mm. Ireland, and I mean, so the, the guys are great. The com- camaraderie was great. Um, I was looking for that group of friends mm-hmm. in Idaho because you know I grew up in California, didn't have that here. Um, and I was supposed to fight a guy that was, you know, my age, my weight, my training. And um, they didn't, they couldn't find anybody. So I ended up fighting like this 24-year-old kid who smoked me in the first round. Um, <laughs> and it was awesome. It was so much fun. <laughs> had a great time. Um, and then, you know, my background in ticket sales, I helped promote the fight and whatnot and develop those relationships. And then about a month after that fight, they said, hey, this guy in Canada um, he lost his opponent. Would you be interested in fighting again? And um, I didn't take too much damage from the first mm-hmm. fight. And I wanted mm-hmm. to kind of redeem myself. And I thought mm-hmm. if I could fight in another country, I'd be an international cage fighter. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I took that fight and um, awesome experience. You know, cage rage um, was the promotion and, um, you know, fight was going well. The guy had, a lot more wrestling experience than me. Um, wiggle wobbled my knee the wrong way, blew the ACL, Oof. went on. Yeah. Um, 
didn't didn't I mean I knew something happened in the fight, but um you know. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's so funny. So yeah. see the thing is is I understand what you're saying, but someone's listening to this and they're like, wait a minute, you got you got your you jacked up your ACL and you're like, it was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, was. it was so yeah. cool. And people uh, don't you know people people don't get it, right? Like they don't understand the thrill of just like whether it's a cage or a ring or whatever, getting in there in front of a bunch of people and putting on a performance like that. Yeah. Where, you know, where it's just you and you, you your performance is going to rise and fall on you. There's a thrill to that that you yeah. can't get anywhere else. And and the guy I fought, I'm still friends with, friends with him. You know, he's a pastor from Canada. And, um, you know, he was fighting in front of his congregation. It was, was so much fun. Um, and you know, so after the knee surgery and recovery, basically we hit COVID. And so Mm -hmm. that kind of, uh, abruptly stopped fighting. Um, but I've still got people here around me that go, you got one more in you. You should do one more, do one more. (laughs) Is your wife one of those? (laughs) She supports me a hundred percent because, you know, I went from being pretty unhealthy to having a lot better habits. And she yeah. says, if that's what it took, then that's what it took. Now, yeah. my mom, on the other hand, is like, I can't believe you let him do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> As moms would. Yes. Yeah, man. Did your kids get to come watch any of that? Um, so no, they came. They didn't come to the fight in Idaho. Um, you know, my, my wife came with my father-in-law to that fight. And then Canada I was just up there with my coaches. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. But man, you that's... can watch me get my butt kicked twice on YouTube. <laughs> so <laughs> nice. Awesome. It's awesome. Yeah. Man. So let's uh you know, I want to talk to you. You mentioned you mentioned Seth, and I, I want to talk about him a little bit because he was a he was a special guy. Yeah. And um, you know, uh, talk to us about Seth a little bit. Tell us about first of all, he he had some health issues. Can you maybe explain what, what health issues he had and just kind of what kind of a guy it was? Yeah. So, I mean, Seth was the type of friend that, I mean, he had so many friends, but every single person that was his friend felt like they were his best friend. That's mm-hmm. just the type of person that he made you feel like there was nobody else but you when you were hanging out with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was born with a rare blood disease, um, Black Van Diamond. And... Um, from a young age, they told him and his parents that he wasn't going to live and he wasn't going to survive. And that, you know, it was three months, it was six months, it was not going to last this year. And, um, he just persisted and fought through all of that. Um, you know, he had some birth defects where, um, he didn't have all of his fingers. Um, he had a messed up neck because of, of his disease and, um, and despite all of that and the challenges that he faced, um, he just took life by the horns and made the best of every situation. And I don't think there's a person that ever met him that didn't just love Seth. And, uh, and he was that, whether he realized it or not, he was a bonding point between so many people that we hung out with as kids. Um, you know, they were friends of Seth and we'd all hang out and, it, you know, I don't know yeah. that he realized that he was that much glue. Yeah. Well, and that, and that was the thing. I mean, Seth did bring everybody together, either, even people who didn't like each other, they would yeah. like, they go hang out with Seth and Seth was, he was friends with everybody, you know, and he was, he was no respecter of persons. He just, whoever you were, he cared about you and, you know, even people who, you know, there were some people at, at times who would, uh, you know, not to his face, but make fun of him or do things, you know, and he would still love them and be friends with them and just be such a good guy. And I just, I always loved hanging around with him. He was just, he was so much fun and, and just a good part of the group, you know? Yeah. And um, tell me, tell me what that meant to you to have him in your life. So, I mean, we got really close um, in high school Um, you know, um, when I was hitting a rough patch at home with my parents, I'd go to his house 
and crash in his garage and we would hang out um, and, and vice versa, he'd come to my house and hang out. And, um, and we just got really close. Um, mm -hmm. And for me, it was, I mean, he was a good example of how to approach life um, and, and, you know, you're going through these things as a teenager and you don't realize what you're seeing. Um, and it's not till much later in life when you can reflect on these things. Um, and so after high school, um, he moved in with us for a while and he was our roommate and we worked at the same call center together. And um, it's just an integral part of that phase of my life. And probably kept me uh, more in line than I would have if I didn't have him around. Mm. Yeah. That's so you, everyone needs a friend like that. Yeah. You know? And so now you mentioned something interesting um, before and you, we were talking about, you know, how you said, well, you know, my parents were kind of like, don't do that. So when I had my chance to choose, uh, I, I made some choices that, uh, you know, I decided to choose the other side. Um, so understanding that and the life experience that you've been through, how does that inform the way you parent your kids? So for me, um, I mean, there's still very much rules. We don't, we don't do this. We don't do that. Right. But I don't feel, I, I mean, we tell them about the other side. We show them you know, these are the consequences of your action. Um, you know, there's people in your family that have history of drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And if you make those choices, these are the struggles that you could have. And, you know, we, we try to give them as much information as they can mm -hmm. so that when the time comes for them to make a choice, they can make an informed choice. And, um, you know, that, that comes all the way from choose your friends wisely. And just because people go to church with you doesn't necessarily mean they're good friends to you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that everybody that goes to church is worth your trust. And, um, and you have to constantly evaluate those relationships because they can change. Yeah. Um, you know, someone that is your good friend today could be going some things in their life and they're not tomorrow and that's okay. You don't need to begrudge them or be angry. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes paths diverge. Um, and so, you know, I wasn't a parent till older in my life. You know, I, I had my first kids early 30s. And mm -hmm. so I think with that age and life experience, I'd like to think that I'm able to give them a little bit more wisdom um, mm -hmm. than the rash man I was at 20. <laughs> I, I hear you. You know, it's funny because my, I got to give my parents some credit. And, and that is that um, my, you know, my, you know, my parents, my dad, you know, convert to the church, but really didn't kind of get it till I was probably 17, 18 years old. And, um, you know, my, my mom always a devout member um, and, and would kind of be overbearing with it at times. But I really did feel like my parents were good about giving me the, I guess, uh, letting me off the leash a little bit, you know, and letting me go out and make decisions that probably looking back, they were like, you know, like the backyard wrestling is a great example. I don't, I don't, I don't know a lot of parents who would have taken on that insurance liability. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, let, let a bunch of teenage hoodlums come in and bash each other with tables and chairs and garbage cans and things like that. Yeah. And, um, but, but they were willing to do it and, and give me a little bit of an outlet and, and let me kind of make some mistakes here and there and do some crazy things. Uh, just enough that like, you know, it wasn't over the over the line, but just enough to let me kind of get the lead out a little bit, you know. Yeah. And 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 when I see some of my other friends who didn't, and this is all anecdotal, obviously, I'm not saying that this is the way to do it. But I mean, when I see 
other, uh, you know, others of my friends whose parents were a little more strict wouldn't allow them to come to the backyard wrestling shows, wouldn't allow them to hang out with guys like you and me, you know. Uh, some of them, some of them aren't, aren't, you know, they, they made those choices a, late, a little bit later in life and, and extreme choices and then eventually, you know, are no longer kind of, you know, on, on this path. And, you know, to each his own, obviously, but I think that that really has informed me because I think they very much kind of followed the Joseph Smith, we teach them correct principles and let them govern themselves. And, yeah. and so when my kids do, you know, do things, uh, I've had a couple of, you know, I have a, I have a senior and of course, you know, in high school, uh, I think because I got into trouble, I almost expect <laughs> that there's going to be some trouble. And sometimes I secretly kind of relish when they get in a little bit of trouble, you know, like I remember one time uh, my daughters were, uh, they, uh, my, my daughter was doing some stuff on a phone that she wasn't, you know, we weren't allowing, I wasn't allowing social media and, yeah. And then she she snuck some stuff and I caught it and I found out that her other sister knew about it. And and I walked away and of course they both got in trouble. But I remember thinking to myself and I maybe I shouldn't put this on air because they may hear it one day. But I was like, I got to tell you, I think it it tells me a little bit. I'm I'm glad they're conspiring a bit, <laughs> you know, yeah. like I'm like, because that's going to forge them later in life as good sisters you know they're like it wasn't terrible it wasn't a, it wasn't something that was the worst thing they could have ever done and i was like okay you know like giving them a little bit of rope and not not beating them up too hard and i yeah. think that there's some i think there's some utility in that you know yeah. and i mean I, yeah definitely um watching those bonds um and hoping that they last that they have people beyond you is is important and i think to touch back i mean something we don't consider as kids and growing up is that your parents are individuals they've had their own trials tribulations experiences um, and they're going through their own things in that present day that you don't give them any credit for while they're mm -hmm. trying to do their best to get you through it yeah and uh you know, that's something I reflect on often is like my my mom's childhood sucked. I mean, mm -hmm. she didn't have great parents and ended up getting raised a good portion of her life by her grandma. And she was taking care of siblings as a young woman. Um, and, you know, she's dealing with not having a childhood, going into raising us kids and doing the best she can with the tools that they have. And, yeah. um, and I'm thankful that she found the church because that gave her lots and lots of tools that she definitely wouldn't have had without it. Yeah. Um, and, and my childhood would have been a lot, lot different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's something that, you know, I like to tell young people is yeah. your people, your parents are people too going through things right now that, and they're still trying to do the best for you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's so funny you bring that up because I, I, I think I said on a, on a prior podcast, um, I am about the age my dad was when he, you know, my dad dealt with drugs and eventually went to rehab. And I think I am just about maybe a little bit older than he was when he did that. And I held a lot of resentment for a lot of years because we lost, you know, we lost everything on that. You know, and it was a it was a bad it was a bad deal for a couple of years. And um, you know, he's been clean ever since and I love him for that. He's a completely different person now than he ever was. I have a great relationship with him now. But when I'm sitting here now in the position I'm in and I'm and I'm looking around and I'm like thinking about all the pressures I have and thinking about where he was at that time and the amount of pressure he was under. And the fact that like he's very similar to your mom, like his, you know, he his parents, yeah, yeah. his his parents were non-existent. He was being he was being raised by a grandparent grandparents who really didn't have any interest necessarily in raising him and were not exactly the best mm -hmm. for them, you know, and he didn't have a father there and he was trying to figure out the best he could. Um it really is something. 
that he made it. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And so um, it, it's it's funny when you, how with age comes perspective, you know, yeah. like that. And so, um, and it's same thing like with my parent with my kids, right? Like my kids, uh, my oldest kid, he gets so mad because my youngest kid gets away with murder, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he's like, "I would have never gotten away with that." I'm like, "Yeah, you were my prototype. Like I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't and, know and what I was exactly doing." And and each of your personalities is very different, you know. Yeah. The punishment that worked for one doesn't work for the other. Um, yeah. You know, and and the rewards the same way, like yeah. you know, you're different, so you have to approach each situation different. Yeah. Another thing that I think is really great about you uh, is that you're a lot like me in the way that. Um, Everybody in the church sometimes looks a certain way, if you know what I mean. Like, and they all and they all kind of act a certain way, like certain things. It's very few who are open. Like, you know, I, I started a I, I taught gospel doctrine a few weeks ago, and I started out with telling everybody, I'm like, all right, so I'm just letting you know. It was like um, I prepared this lesson while I was wearing my Pantera Cowboys from Hell t-shirt. <laughs> it was like, when I got at the concert, that may or may not have been on a Sunday. <laughs> it was like, yep. so I'm just letting you know, there's not a lot of spirit going to be in this lesson. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. And it's just like, there's not a lot of people that are openly like into the things that we're into. Um, mm -hmm. But how do you think if there were more people uh, a, a kind of a more diverse group of people uh, around you, how that might have informed you in your, you know, in your decision-making as a kid. I mean, I'm not sure about diversity as a, as a kid and, and how that would have shaped me. But what I, what I think about now is you know, you say there's not a lot of people like us or openly like us in the church model or mold. And I, and I think there is. I just didn't think there's an openness to discuss it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's so many people with lots of different interests and all different back to backing of life. Um, and I think we get caught up with our own life that we just don't take the time to get to know what's going on with those people around us. Mm. And um miss those opportunities and yeah. so i mean i'm sure there was kids that we were hanging out with that were going through the same struggles as us and we mm -hmm. were just too blind to reach out or talk to them or you know we were dealing with our own things yeah and so I'll, you know i'll tell i'll tell another story the ward i'm in now in Folsom, uh i was a little little worried moving in and part of the reason I was worried moving in was because, I mean, I, I had basically lived in and out of my home ward. I mean, I was living in my home ward before, before we moved. So I knew everybody, you know, it was really easy. Yeah. And so we moved to this new ward and, I, and it's, you know, it's in Folsom, nicer area. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh man, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to fit in here. You know, like I, I love Metallica and pro wrestling and fight sports and, you know, crude humor. I don't know how these people are going to, you know. And immediately he'll walk in and there's these two guys. I'm, I don't know if you ever met. Did you ever meet the Ballantines? I don't think you did. They probably weren't around when you were, when you were still No, here, I don't think I did. Jake and Kenny Ballantine. And they're, and Kenny had like a, like a purple mohawk <laughs> and, and Jake, you know, he's just a motivational speaker. He's been on the podcast, but they come up to me like day, like week two. And they're like, we heard you were an indie wrestler. And I was like, and I was like, ah, uh, the fact that you even know what an indie wrestler is, is impressive. Tell me more, you know? And they, yeah. and, then, and then they're like, we know all about indie wrestling. We went to PWG in Southern California and all this stuff. And we love this and that. And I go, whoo, okay, I can hang here. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and from there I met more people who, who had similar interests and, now, the thing is, is that like I have the, the thing that I find so interesting about that was like I have a very I feel like I have a strong enough testimony in the church where it doesn't really matter whether I fit in or not. I'm going to go. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I've just, that's just always been the way it has been. But I think of people who, like, like in your situation when you're first coming back to church, right? Like where you're you're kind of like going through the motions at first and not kind of feeling it uh, out. It, it's so important to have people like that, I feel like, to let them know that, like, you're not that far, you're not that far yeah. off. You know what I mean? You're you're one of us. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. And so what do you think we could do as members to kind of um, maybe promote that a little more? I mean, it's it's really just as simple as saying hi and inviting someone to sit with you. Yeah. Um, you know, if people are there for the first time, that's all they're looking for is a familiar face or someone to become that familiar face. And I mean, even if they have been to church before and and I've recently come back, um, you know, get outside your own bubble. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we all have things going on, um, but you really just have to be be friendly. Yeah, you know. Um, it, uh, oh, let's finish what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, we we recently had a a young man who, you know. He was working for me at work um, at the at the theater, and someone from my award invited him to come and listen to a musical number. And you know, when that person went up to the stage to sing, like they were alone, so we just said, "Come on over here, sit with us." Um, and that meant the world. You know, it was yeah. just something, someone comfortable to sit with. It can be as small as that, or yeah. saying hi and shaking a hand. Yeah. Well, and that's that's uh, that's so important, and I wish more people would do that. You know, even especially to the people who maybe come in and they they don't quite fit that mold. Because the thing is, it's interesting. I've I've been in a bishopric before, and I've been in a, as an elders quorum president. And what I notice is, is even though they all look the same, nobody really fits the mold. <laughs> right. Right. You know, and 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 I think that. That's just it, is that everybody's come from a different situation and a different walk of life. And just because we all put church clothes on on Sunday, yeah, you know, don't yeah. let that fool you that the struggles aren't there Yeah, because they are. Could you tell me if you've had any experiences, you know, being being a, a, a divorced member of the church that's actually becoming more... Um, I guess uh, it's starting to become not as rare, if that makes sense. I mean, it's it's yeah. still it's still rare, but not as rare. There's probably a few in every ward now. Um, but being kind of a blended family like that, um, have you? Do you ever have occasion, or have you, where you felt a little out of place? I haven't, just because you know my situation's a little different. Um, you know, I got married young, divorced young, didn't have kids. So when I came back to church as a young or an old single adult, um, <laughs> you know, it was fresh and brand. And I don't think anybody around us um, would know the difference <clears throat> if I didn't tell them. <clears throat> and so, um, so I haven't really experienced that. Um, but I do think you're right. I do think it's more common. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that in the 80s and 90s when we were growing up that it was taboo, you know, yeah. like, you know, people thought something was wrong with you if there was a divorce. And and that's just simply not the case. Um, yeah. Is that, you know, at the end of the day, Heavenly Father wants us all to be happy. And he gives us the parents he gives us for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um and sometimes those parents' paths diverge, and mm. that's okay because there's a new path that can be formed, and mm. and eventually we'll all have the eternal perspective that we need to see why that was the case. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I actually just had a conversation. Uh, I got a random call from my mission president. He just called me out of the blue. And just checking up, you know, and uh, which I think is so amazing considering it's been over 20 years since I've been a missionary and he still calls and checks up, you know, and 
And he called and just seeing what was going on. And he said something really interesting about divorce. He said he he is now married to, I think, President Hinckley's daughter or or someone who is very close to President Hinckley. And he said he one time heard President Hinckley tell a member of the church who was divorced. He said there are worse things in the world than being divorced, (laughs) you know, and and. uh and but the, you're right. Like there are some people out there who still kind of think of it as a, a taboo thing, or oh, what happened? You know, kind of. And uh, you know, it's it's hard. I don't think people understand how hard it is. You know, for for people, I I, I have there's blended families in my ward, and hearing them say how, you know, sometimes they feel a little, uh, you know, that like they're a little, uh, you know not set aside, but kind of almost second class citizens at times, you know, because yeah. people kind of judge them about that. And, um, but there's some of the best members of the church I've, I've seen. I, I have so much, I have so much respect for people who have gone through that and still continue to go because I know how difficult it is to sit there when your life doesn't look like everybody else's and hear the things that you hear at church that are not bad things to hear. Right. Yeah. But you know, like if someone gets up there and bears their testimony and says how grateful he is for his wife that he's had for 60 years, you know, that's not a bad thing. Right. But when you're sitting there alone mm-hmm. and you're like, I well, I may never have that. It's hard to hear, you know, and the fact that people are willing to, you know, that, that they do that. I have so much respect for them, you know. Yeah. And that I mean, uh, like I said, I think the fabric of. The congregation has changed a lot in our lifetime. Yeah. Um, you know, things that people didn't used to talk to, they're ta- talk about, they're talking about more. Mm-hmm. And I think that the church as a whole is a lot more inclusive from family situations to sexual orientation. And, you know, there's a place for everybody. Um, yeah. Sometimes I feel like we get lost in the people and the culture and mm-hmm. we lose sight of the doctrine and the saving grace. And I think yeah. that that's where most people fall away is, mm. you know, we're hard on ourselves more hard than anybody else. And 100%. because we're so hard on ourselves, you know, we lose sight of what the savior has to offer. And I yeah. think that that's, um, you know, unfortunate. And we need to find yeah. a better way to bridge those conversations so that those people don't feel lost. Yeah. So let um, me ask you, let me ask you another question real quick. Sorry. I, I got to tell you that I've been a bad guest and that I'm doing this from my phone and I now have 4% battery. Oh, okay. Well, we'll cut this short. Let me ask you a couple. Of, <laughs> let me ask you a couple of questions. I ask everybody then. So first question, um, what would you say is your biggest success in life? Oh, definitely my family and my kids. Um, You know, like I shared the story about my son at school. Like to me, that's the definition of success. I help create a person that is aware of other people's feelings and is making them feel important. Definitely. What would you say was your biggest failure in life and what did you learn from it? Um, my biggest failure is um, taking what other people had to say uh, too much to heart and mm-hmm. letting them affect my choices um, when I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. You know, I let I let other people's outside influences and opinions affect what I knew to be true, and mm-hmm. and. You know, that led down to narc roads. Yeah. So last question. One day down the road, you're going to pass away. And when you are, there'll be a funeral and uh, someone will give you a eulogy. What's the one thing you hope somebody says about you in your eulogy? I mean, I want it to be just like Seth's funeral. Every person that came up said, Seth Bengals, my friend. And, you know, if you can make people feel like that and remember you like that, then you've lived an accomplished life, no matter how much money or what job position or church calling or anything. If you've touched one person in that way, 
your your life has been meaningful and successful. Definitely. Well, Elliot, it's been awesome to talk to you about these things and it's been great to watch. It's it's so cool to see where everybody's ended up and you've ended up in a great place and I'm proud of you. You know, I'm proud of Thank you, you because I've been there. I was there when when you had some of those dark times. I saw some of the the ups and downs and you've just turned into an amazing person, an amazing amazing father, amazing mm-hmm. husband and you know, you're an example to me and I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of you. I really am. Well, I feel the same way about you. It's been fun to watch the journey, and uh, maybe uh, we'll have to do a 50-year-old uh, grudge match. <laughs> we will have a return. <laughs> right on. <laughs> All right. Well, for everybody who's been listening, subscribe if you haven't already. We have a lot more fun coming up. Elliot, we'll have to do this again. I really appreciate you coming on. So Awesome. Thanks, Josh. All right.